sitting here drinking some water, and I was noticing that I had put ice cubes in it about, oh, maybe five minutes ago. And um, I've never actually done any sort of test to see if this is true or not, but I've had a wild theory that ice melts faster at home than it does at the restaurant. And the reason for thinking that, okay, just for everyone listening, just bear with me, okay? Let me explain. Why is it? And I don't know, maybe there's a setting. Is it possible that ice can be colder somewhere else? Is it something like that? I get if you, you know, go to a restaurant and get uh, a carbonated beverage or something like that, tea, whatever, that is already coming out of... You know, it's already coming out cold. So when you hit it with the ice, it's just extra cold. I like that. But I know that whenever I'll go through drive throughs or something like that, if I'm getting like a Coke or a Pepsi or whatever, that sort of thing, I know that the carbonation is cold and that the ice doesn't melt. But I also know that because the carbonation is cold, I can get a drink that I'll imbibe pretty quickly and not have to worry about it diluting with any extra water into it, which is a huge, huge pet peeve of mine, right? Real, really strange way to start this off. But the reason I was even thinking about any of this was I had just gotten a glass of water. I almost always do whenever I'm going to start recording. It's a habit from back when I was doing voiceover. I would drink a lot of water beforehand, room temperature, so I wasn't straining my throat or anything else like that. But in this circumstance, I found that I actually really like having some ice water. But it seems like in the time that I will take to get the ice in there and get water out of the refrigerator, which is maybe not freezing cold, but it is cool water. I pour it in there and it seems like the ice just doesn't last this long. It's to the point to where I've started using insulated drink mugs from time to time, just from a frustration point. So there's about five minutes of your life that you wish you had back, right? (laughs) Okay, I am Mario the Artisan Rogue, and this is Radio 74. This is a small one-man radio show production that I do that, for the most part, just records my thoughts and things I've gone through over the past couple weeks or whatever. I am now on... This is going to seem so weird. So I've recorded um, probably... This is the eighth episode that I have recorded... Or the, well, not even an episode, the eighth session I've recorded. In those eight sessions, only one has become a podcast that I've updated recently, and that was the one for Planet Comic Con. If you go to my website, theartisanrogue.com, there's a whole new update that I just did last night, and it covers Planet Comic Con. It's got some what I think are pretty nice pictorials on there, mainly of stuff I'm into. But I do a little light review of the show. I'm not going to retread the same stuff, but I did really enjoy the show quite a bit. And I think for the most part, I managed to stay on point, probably not with the podcast talking about it, that sort of stuff. But what I was going to get to tonight, the thing that's kind of at the forefront of my head right now was just, I had gotten into a really interesting conversation a while back with some people on Twitter that were talking about art in general. And I have made it a conscious effort to really, really stay on a certain path for social media. Now, not necessarily for myself. What I mean is the stuff that I'll ingest. There's a lot of times, and I, and it's really weird. I still hold to this premise of thought that, that for the most part, 
social media isn't a bad thing. Okay. Now I know that in previous episodes, I've probably gone on and on about this and the irony is not lost on me that if anyone is listening to this podcast, this is a long form aspect of social media, right? And there is a capacity to comment or reply or things like that. Like some of you have done and it's much appreciated. What I'm talking about is that a lot of times social media, like anything that becomes popular, widespread worldwide, anything like that, that has a greater and greater sized audience and a greater opportunity for participation, interaction, reaction, shareability, you name it. It will no doubt draw a lot of different people in from different backgrounds, different places, different ideologies, the whole spectrum. I still hold that we were not prepared for the introduction of what social media was. If there was anything that proved that to me was in the early days of Friendster and MySpace. And I recall back then that giving people a lot of control over things led to MySpace pages that took hours to load. It was like a bad, bad web designer's nightmare. It was horrible. I'm actually very much surprised that MySpace is around, albeit it's for musicians, I think, primarily. The thing that really gets me is that even back then, it was pretty easy to tell that the writing was on the wall for any sort of level of decency. But I have noticed a welcome turn over the, well, gosh, over the last 10 years, really, that has shown me that there can be pockets of, you know, good interaction, learning, you know, introduction to new sorts of things that maybe you never even really knew about or didn't fully understand because of other people's experiences, knowledge, and that's a great thing. And there's no shortage of media being introduced. Just as I'm sitting here at 1223 in the morning recording this podcast, there's no doubt hundreds, thousands, dare I say probably millions of other people that are recording podcasts that are creating media, which is a much far, you know, higher number. As soon as I get done with this, I've got some photos from an excursion I went out today. I went thrift shopping and I found some interesting things that I was going to add to one of my Instagram accounts. Just the whole aspect that different facets of my life now revolve around this came up in this conversation that I had mentioned earlier. And it was between me and a couple of other artists. And so this was something that I'd really thought about for a long time, but I didn't really know how to, I didn't really know how to approach this. There's a website that I follow and it's art news is literally what it's called. I think it's, yeah, it is. It's artnews.com. I just have it bookmarked. If you haven't gone to that, it's a wonderful worldwide news outlet. And, um, it, it has like a couple of uh, different categorical aspects to it, like just news in general, the market, retrospective, artists, the right, there's recommendations, there's things for like the top 200 collectors and what they're doing, um, you know, as far as art in general, uh, there's travel coverage and there's art specifically in America. Now, this is one of those websites that does have a massive amount of information and writing on it which is a good thing, but it's also overwhelming. It's well laid out. There's no problem with it. But there was a lot of things in there that I really thought was pretty overwhelming when I first got to it. Now, it has a pedigree. Evidently, the 
Art News has been around since, and it even says in their title at the, up at the very top, they've been around since 1902. So we're talking about, oh, what, 122, 100, yeah, 120 years of um, being around and producing content on some sort of format. But it got me to thinking, and some other artists were talking about this too, about how there seems to be a dearth of information for for the average artist. And what are the avenues that we can use or, you know, to, to help grow as artists? This is something that's been brought up a multitude of times in conversations I've had with other people, because sometimes it is really difficult to understand, like how to break into art, where to go, how to do things. Or, you know, once you're in art, how do you keep, how do you keep any semblance of a career going? What, what is your next step? Where are you going? Now, some of this also is coming into sharp focus because of the fact that this week, last week, and the next week probably has a ton of kids graduating high school. And I have no doubt that a fair amount of people that I know have children that are graduating. I, even some students of mine are graduating. And that is a crazy mind, mind space to be in, Right. Because I can still remember when I graduated high school. Even with college, it was a little bit less celebratory because I, I, I kind of like finished my seven, seven and a half years in college with kind of a whimper. I went out with the last couple of classes that I took, and then I just didn't show up the next semester. But I had earned a degree. I didn't end up getting that degree until two, three years ago in the mail when they finally found it and got all that mess cleared up. So I waited quite a while for that thing to show up. But for high school, I remember how much I didn't know what my next step was. And I'm not, this isn't to complain. This isn't to commiserate. I've managed to hold together a, a pretty decent run at staying a creative for quite a while. And there's more than a few times that I've thought to myself, like, no, it's not exactly where I wanted to be. But there's also a lot of things in life that happened that I thought would never have happened and opportunities that came along that I was like, wow, I really certainly didn't expect that. I uh, I always think to myself whenever anyone is leaving high school, like there's this crazy feeling, right, that happens. And so I'm just going to describe what, what I went through. I remember uh, without getting into too many specifics, um, so I don't bore you guys with this, but I recall that whenever there was the whole week before graduation I remember sitting in my parents' uh, house. I, I had the, the basement area down for myself. And I remembered sitting up late one night thinking, I have no idea where I'm heading. If if there was any way that I could say, hey, I would be where I am right now, I wouldn't have believed it. Not because I've been you know overwhelmed with incredible and decadent success or all. No, nothing like that. What I mean is I just had no idea what the last few years would have been like. I There's just no way that I could have gambled on that and won. I would never have even come close. I think there would have been some things in the rough neighborhood of guessing that I got, would have been like, yeah, no, okay. You know, like the the tenacious aspect to want to stay within the creative community, to do whatever I could. And there were certainly missteps and terrible jobs and bad decisions all along the way, but that's life. But what I'm getting at is whenever I was graduating, I recall that there was this whole feeling of like a chapter closing, which it is right. 
that's kind of officially like the end of an era. I think it's the exact same feeling I had whenever I finished watching the show Gravity Falls. Now, for those of you that haven't watched it, do yourself a favor, turn off my podcast, go get Disney Plus or wherever you can find that show and watch it. Buy the DVD, do whatever you can. It is a brilliant show and you will miss being a 13-year-old. The whole thing behind it was that when I was when I was watching that show and the feeling that hit me at the end of it, it was this whole thing that the that it ended and they had turned 13. Now, this is something that's kind of alluded to through the show from my memory thinking about it right now that and and a lot of people had wanted a continuation of it right and i've talked about this in another podcast previously specifically about gravity falls that people to this day are still passing around the whole idea that hey there's going that the that the creator is absolutely going to make a third season we're going to see this and there's been many many fan-made comics and voiceover kind of video things that have been done some of them quite excellent extremely well made but ultimately there probably will never be a continuation because the story really does end at that point. It doesn't mean life doesn't go on. It doesn't mean that they don't see these people next summer. It does mean that they will be in a different place at that point in their life next summer. So something that really started to hit me was that the same sort of feeling is going through a lot of people right now. Parents, Friends, teachers, mentors, especially the young people graduating. I almost said kids. The young people graduating high school and moving into a greater unknown world that isn't necessarily the school. Right? I mean, and school comes with its own problems. We all know this, you know, uh, from interpersonal to far more wide-ranging things that probably should never happen. In fact, they shouldn't happen. But nonetheless, moving into that zone, getting into the whole aspect of moving forward in life is, it's like I equivocate it to taking a handful of marbles and (laughs) standing on a roadway and flinging them out and then attempting to follow the trajectories that you've just thrown them down. It's like some sort of crazy Mythbusters experiment, right? Because not one of them is going to go in the direction you really think. You can throw them in a general direction and go, well, you're going to be heading this way. I threw them all eastward, and they're heading eastward. But there will still be those that defy. Some will drop directly toward your feet. Some are going to fly far out. Some are going to shatter when they hit. Some are going to sink and fall into a hole and be lost to oblivion. Now, those all sound extremely like that. That's a very morose and very <laughs> depressing sort of thing to say. But the truth is, is that there is a true connection and a parallel that runs in that. I know this because if my own path after high school and even really after college, had been a marble, there would have been times whenever not only did it get thrown out and it got chipped and then rubbed smooth and wobbled now funny, barely missed a couple of different drop-offs and you know probably got wedged into a crevasse somewhere. And then when the rains came, got pushed back out, got stuck in the mud, accidentally eaten out, and then expelled by an armadillo. You know, that old chestnut, that kind of story. 
there is a lot of that that happens in different people. Well, not the whole being eaten by an armadillo. That, that, that's fairly unique. But the whole thing is that in conversations that I've had recently, people started uh, – the thing is, is the most artists that I talk to now are about – or about that age where you start to look back at your career, where you've been, what you've done, and that sort of thing, and you think to yourself a couple of different things. Like, at least for me, I think, wow, I would have loved to have had some sort of guidance or somewhere I could have looked to. Now, I brought up the website Art News, but Art News very much deals with worldwide, you know, factors and media representation. So, like, I mean, just reading some of the articles on here, London's Victoria and Albert Museum moves closer to historic Bayou Tapestry Loan. Prussian Cultural Heritage Foundation to send 23 artifacts back to Namibia. Namibia. Sorry, I even said, so wrong. Oscar-winning filmmakers bring fashion to life in the Mets period rooms. No doubt these are great articles to read. But they have very little to do with my day-to-day experiences. They just, they have really nothing to do with it. I know that the times that I had thought about what that would be like to create something that people could utilize as a resource would be amazing. Now you think about this and there are a lot of art magazines out there. There's a ton. You can go to Barnes and Noble or any bookstore that still stands to this day and you will find a multitude of different art magazines. There's some dedicated to Photoshop, photography, watercolor, oil painting, Western you know, artwork, whatever. There's a ton of things like this. And ultimately, even those things have a somewhat superficial and odd sort of feel to them. It's not that there isn't really good information in there. It's just that there is still, there is still this thing in my mind that I feel disconnected from the content within and where this stuff may for a lot of these magazines is very well researched and is amazing to bear witness to you balance that with a lot of the stuff that you might find out on the internet from Twitter to even YouTube or now TikTok, And there is a, there's a proliferation of information out there that varies from being fairly honest and open to maybe anecdotal or straight up incorrect. Now, I understand that everyone's experiences in the world of art are different. Certainly not here to challenge that. Certainly not here to say, no, you're wrong. That's not my point. But recent events that I've gone through creatively and and dealing with other stuff have lent me this idea that maybe there does need to be some sort of either publication or unified thought process that focuses more on regional or even just if not regional artists definitely artists within a certain zone there isn't really a whole bunch out there that is easy to find for artists to grow with and what i mean by that is this i have a lot of hobbies that i'm into right like miniature building uh gosh collectibles of all kinds, things like that. And there are magazines that are being done about that. In fact, two of them, there is a magazine that is now being published that I've just recently subscribed to. And another one that I'm going to subscribe to soon. One is called, um, one is for Sega and is based out of the UK. 
uh, Sega, the video game company. And I love what they've done with it so far. I've subscribed and I'm hoping to be able to be involved with it even more. The magazine is one where, you know, it delves into this hobby. And so everything is very concentrically circled around the history and the, uh, the items created and the legacy and the whole culture behind it. And that appeals to a certain number of people like myself who grew up very much with that. Likewise, there is another magazine called Toy Collector. Collector is spelled without the E at the end and simply an R. It is already gotten a massive amount of interest because the publisher, the primary person putting this together, said, wow, that was a lot of P's in those words. They went out and they started talking to toy companies like NECA and Mattel and Super 7 and different places to start getting, and even like YouTube personalities like Dan Larson of Toy Galaxy and Pixel Dan, people like that, to get to bring people on board to start writing articles and columns and things and doing all this stuff that would focus in on this hobby. And although there are some magazines out there that I have subscribed to, my favorite recently has been character design quarterly which is an incredible magazine it is fulfilling when you read it it is wildly complex and how it will inundate you with a bunch of artwork and concepting and really pretty honest and open articles that deal with a lot of stuff like just creating characters which is the namesake's you know, title. That's what it's about. But it also goes a little bit into shows and designs a little bit. The thing it's missing is, and I'm just going to throw this out there because this is something that I've, I've encountered when I've been doing videos for TikTok. And I've actually had a few people that have asked and I've responded back with some, what I hoped were informative replies. But I realized how much of a shortcoming there was in what I was saying. So some of the examples have been, if, and if you don't follow me on TikTok or you are on TikTok and you want to follow an account, you can certainly follow mine. It's a little bit about animal rights and animal rescue efforts that I do, but the vast majority of it is about the travel I do as, you know, going to shows, but also what I go through as an artist and things I create, but it's at the artisan rogue. So in this, I remember thinking to myself, like, there really isn't a whole bunch of magazines that do cover this, right? There, are, Character Design Quarterly is great as far as if you're interested in working in different mediums and trying to figure out, like, how successful character designers put things together. There's absolutely a need and a niche for this. There's no doubt for that, right? But I know the questions that I get a lot of times are, how did you become an artist? And they don't mean, like, the same sort of things that are usually interviewed about in different things in different magazines. What they mean is how were you able to work a job that is 32 to 40 plus hours a week? How did you stay motivated? How did you find it in yourself to want to do things? How did you afford a car? How did you keep food on the table? How did you buy art supplies? Do you recycle things? How many markers do you go through? I'm talking question after question after question. To the point to where, as I was going back and reviewing some of the different videos and adding them onto my YouTube channel, it's kind of a backup archive in the event. I don't know. I get banned from TikTok for something crazy. At least I had that, right? Well, one of the things that I realized as I was watching them was I kind of wish I could put this in print. kind of wish I could do something more with this. I don't know what that means. I'm not saying I'm starting a magazine. I'm not saying I'm doing anything to that note. What I am saying is I spent probably 
last couple of days really trying to figure out where I'm going with my life as far as what are the goals I'd like to do. See, one of the things that happens as well, this is hand in hand with this, so I'll come back full circle to this whole magazine idea, is as an artist, you often feel helpless. At least I do, right? When the whole thing happened with Ukraine and Russia, felt helpless. When COVID-19 was going on, felt helpless. When things go really just batshit nuts in the world, what, do you, what can you do? I mean, I can make art that supports a country. I could do, but what are you really doing? Right? Like it just, it seems like anything I'm trying to do doesn't really placate the stress and the insignificance that I feel. Now, this isn't necessarily something where I'm saying this is going to change the world or anything, but I did feel that whether, whether this was something that uh, became reality or not, it was something where going back to what I first talked about, in curating the content carefully that I get through TikTok, through Twitter, through different social media feeds, I've found that it really does help. It really can help. And it isn't as bad as we think. It is terrible. Make no mistake. Social media is a shit show. There are people alive today that should never be able to say what is on their mind on any world platform. They should just... I'm not saying they can't think what they think. I'm not saying they can't do what they do. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there are certain things that by their very nature are the most inflammatory, insensitive, backwards thinking kind of thing you could do. And social media thrives on that. They, the more you argue, the more you interact, the more you tell somebody just to go F off, whatever, the more the companies love that. And it creates engagement and time and they can utilize that you know for revenue for for statistical data for different you just you name it and it, then it made me think to myself like you know well a website with this doesn't really work i mean there's already artnews.com and there's a lot of other things like that so one of the things that i decided was and i had sort of already been working on this for any of you that have followed me for any amount of time if you do go to the artistandrogue.com there's a section on there called creative interviews and i have a new one that i'm finally getting up on there and there's three or four more people that i've reached out to that i'm just waiting back to hear from and um and i so i put i put interviews on there that were very much formulated like what i would have originally wanted to have put together as a publication well, I'm finally at a point in my life where I think I can start moving forward with this. And part of me is putting this out there right now because I know that only a handful of people will really hear this and understand what I'm trying to do. But I'm hoping to turn this into something much bigger. So the overall goal is to get this effort that I have out there and create a printed publication. And there will be an e-version for readers and stuff. But the point was to create something that addressed what I think is a missing factor in today's creative uh, platforms. If you follow musicians, if you follow visual artists, if you follow anyone that is in the creative field, it is rare to be able to truly understand where they came from professionally. Judging by, and I am nobody big, I am no big name, I am not an influencer, I am not anybody famous, I am none of those things. But judging by the fact that whenever I'll put up a TikTok video that deals with my artwork, or I show a time lapse, or I put out a brand new item on Etsy or something like that, or even recording these podcasts, I get people that will ask me, 
gosh, well, you know, maybe when I get more money or, you know, like, you know, how much did this cost? Or, you know, what are you doing on this and this sort of thing? And they always end up falling into a couple of different categories from how do I afford this to how do you make time for it to, well, you know, gosh, I wish I could do that. But, you know, I just don't know if I can or not. Just a lot of different things like that that make me realize that there is a lot of questions that never get answered. There's a lot of people that wonder things. One of the best ones, the questions that I got asked, I mentioned it earlier, was how many markers do you use? And I'm always grounded, floored, really, by this. Uh, there was a interaction a few years ago where I was, I, I don't really do commissions at shows anymore, but I was working on one, and a, a lady had remarked about how she was like, oh, my God, I love Copic markers. You know, they're just, I just wish they weren't so expensive. They just blow my budget out. And I remember she was standing there with her husband and I was like, yeah, the refills can be really expensive. And her husband said nothing during this entire exchange. She's like, I'm sorry, what? And I said, the refills for the markers, like, you know, even though they're like back then they were the slightly larger refills. I had mentioned, you know, you can, you can refill these markers. And she's like, no, you can't. I was like, yeah, yeah, you can. And for a while, I, I remember a few people saying, wow, you should work for Copic because the, of the presentation I would do at shows. Um, just impromptu if somebody brought it up because I do love Copic markers quite a bit. And I remember that I would pull out, I had these little tools. I mean, like, and I go hard when I, when I am a fan of something, I own a lot of stuff. I'm not kidding. Side note, like, I love Hitachi tools before they became what they are now, um, Metabo. And I have a ton. I remember talking, I, I got into a conversation with a guy that was at the corporate office and I noticed that there was a store that you could order things from. And I had reached out and he said, well, no, you actually need this. I said, well, wait, why are you trying to order? You know, cause I needed like an actual, like a purchasing account to order this stuff. Cause they were used to like people buying like a lot of stuff for a crew or whatever. And I said, I'm just a hard nosed, you know, hardcore Hitachi fan. I have been because when I was 16, my first power drill was a Hitachi drill. And I love the green black aesthetic and the fact that it looked like something that would have come out of the aliens trilogy, just beautiful design on the tools. And I went on this whole thing. I wrote this, whole, I, st- I think I still have the, the email printed out somewhere because I saved it. Cause I love the response to it. And the guy said, I tell you what, um, here's, and he gave me a temporary account number. He said, we don't normally do this, but I passed this on to my manager. He thought it was really cool. He said, if you order, we got a couple freebies we're going to throw in for you and this sort of thing. And, uh, but he was like, you know, if, if you can at least make the order, like maybe if you're interested, he was like, we'd really prefer for it to be around 50 so we can keep the shipping down because of a deal we have. But, but if it's less, we understand that too. I think I ordered about, yeah, it was like $79 worth of product from them. I got like Hitachi gloves, stickers, um, hat shirts, uh, gosh, I, I got a lot of things, a work apron, um, some additional bits and parts and pieces and all these other things. The only thing I didn't end up uh, ordering was the Hitachi branded radio, which I really wanted. Nonetheless, he ended up sending a bunch of other extras along. Like I think I got like Hitachi shoelaces and just all kinds of swag stuff, things you'd probably find at like a convention, you know, or a conference show for them. And uh, I thought that was just wonderful. Well, so getting back to the whole, uh, See, I've already lost my train of thought on this, but getting back to the whole art magazine thing that I was talking about, that was something where I, I had appreciated that a company was willing to do that. And you know, the, the rewarding aspect of the interaction of that, but going back to the magazine, as I said, 
the idea was born that even though there's a lot of different things out there that you can learn via social media, I had noticed that, oh, and that's where I was going, not the magazine, I'm sorry. Gosh, see, and this is the only thing, like if I had other people I was talking to be like, no, dummy, you were talking about the marker. So I went hard-nosed with Copic. And they don't offer some of these things now uh, because things have kind of changed, but there's a, there was a set that you could get that were like these literal needles that were for, you put them over the refills you got, and then that way you weren't spilling ink everywhere because the alcohol ink got, alcohol ink would get everywhere if you weren't careful. But I, you know, you take out like the nibs that are all replaceable, the shells replaceable. You can basically back then buy, and I think you still can empty cartridge markers. Like the whole thing would just be, I have a couple of them and they have no color on the cap or anything else like that. Some of them are, you know, so that way if you want to mix colors and create your own color, you can. Or if you happen to damage something or step on one or break one, you have a backup one. It's a whole system. There's even, I even have the airbrush that you can hook up for it. And I have like a little compressor here by my desk that I'll hook up. And I used to be able to do that. I, I don't do it as much anymore, if at all anymore. But I remember telling her about all these things and showing her a lot of the stuff. And her husband's face never changed, but she clearly looked a bit annoyed and surprised not i don't i don't believe any of the annoyance was in me per se but it was certainly in that moment realizing where she was with having been a consumer of this product now for all the good things that copic does with their products the one thing i'm really surprised by is you have to dig to figure out that there are refills and most stores that sell copic don't sell the refills or if they do they sell a small spectrum a small zone of them and that's it even the blick art store that i love going to here in kansas city carries a small amount of them there is a wonderful app that exists for the Copic marker that is available on iOS. I don't know if it's available on Android or not. I imagine it is, but it is a Japanese based app. I don't even recall how in the world I got it installed. I don't, I think you can download it from the app store that it is available. The good news is, is that it's super easy to figure out, but there, the graphical user interface on it is amazing. I've meant to really do an in-depth review about it and I just haven't ever gotten around to it. But it allows me to store not only favorites, but refills that I need or wish list items. So then when I go to the store, I simply have to open up the app, take a look at what I have. And then as I'm pulling them off the shelf or they're getting them for me, I can just, you know, uncheck them and they set back in. There's a whole graphic aspect of where they pop up and they're highlighted and then they kind of set back down in a little virtual like shelving system on your phone. It's very, very cool. And I told her about that because I had that at that point in time and all these other things. And she was like, but wait, so the point is you can refill these things. I'm like, absolutely. And I used to carry a Husky toolbox that I still have. I just, things at shows get crazy and there's only so much room and I don't do commissions anymore at shows. So I stopped carrying it with me. But at that time I had a whole system set up and the refills would fit in there perfectly. And then I carried all my markers on the top too. So the, all the warm colors were in one, uh, not shelf, one drawer, the next drawer was all the cool colors, and then the bottom one was refills and all the neutrals, grays, blacks, that sort of thing. So as I pull out all these things, and I'm like literally looking like 
somebody on a showroom floor. Like I felt like the guy that did ShamWow years ago. You know, I, all I was missing was the headset and to be standing up going, you wouldn't believe what you could do with these markers. Like, look at this. They come apart in a million different ways. This is like a 1980s Transformer. I felt like I and I know that I get in that zone. I, I'm a salesman at heart to some degree um, because I do love that stuff. So and as I was going on about it, <laughs> she seemed to keep getting more and more agitated. But again, I was like, I'm sorry. Like, it, it, you know, like I'm just going on. about. It. She's like, no, I'm just stunned that I didn't know this. So she was like, there, there's refills for all the colors. I was like, as far as I know, yes, if the color exists. And I said every year they they tend to knock out a few or rename them. But you can still find the majority. I would say that 60 to 75% of the colors are available out there. And I recommended, like, there was a, a website that I said that carried them for a decent price, about five bucks a piece if you ordered, like, more than five, things like that. Well, that whole scenario was the beginning of what my thought process was now. Here's a woman that was a hobbyist, amateur artist, whatever you want to call her, that was really into Copic markers, but because she didn't understand or not, you know what? She understood, she understood what she knew about it, but there was no facility of progress of thought that, Hey, maybe our customers would like to know about these other things. Instead, she was dropping seven to nine, seven to $9 a marker and throwing away the old ones because, well, they were spent. And if you you know, had worked in markers for a long time. I know I've spoken to commercial artists that said, oh man, at the end of the week, you know, you'd be throwing out a whole trash can full of plastic markers because markers weren't refillable for a long time. There was a lot of them that were used in professional studios through the 50s, 60s, 70s that they were one use. They were like a Sharpie. And whether this was from an ecological angle or it was just for you know, a resale or I have no idea, but I only ended up getting into the whole Copic marker factor because I thought, well, these are really nice. They seem pretty light fast. And ultimately when I discovered how intrinsically cool the whole system was that you could change things out, upgrade your neat, the, the nibs and all these other things that to me was stunning. And it made me want to learn more about it. But my frustration point was probably the same. She felt I had to really dig to find these things. I had to reach out to companies. It was not unlike what I went through with Hitachi, where I was like, hey, I found this corporate website. I really like the stuff. Now, that was more of a half stance factor, but there was frustration in that, well, this is these are items and things I really want so that I can have them because I really like the products and I'd like to have them for videos down the road and things, whatever. And they were willing to work with me, but it was, again, a half stance circumstance. With Copic, it is a similar thing. Now, I believe that there's probably a lot more knowledge base on it because you can go out and if you were to click, you know, on the search bar on YouTube or Vimeo or anything else like that and type in Copic marker tutorial or whatever, you are no doubt going to find a fair amount of people that do videos on Copic or Copic. But I've noticed even in those, they will cover a certain amount or maybe they miss entire aspects of it or they just... They cover what they know that they picked up from Blick or Hobby Lobby or Michaels or wherever. And that's it. They don't really know the full range of it. And I felt kind of bad. But she was relieved and glad that I took the time. I think I literally ran on for about the length of what this podcast has been so far. 
you know, a good 30 minutes where I was like taking it apart, showing how to fill it, how you could do this sort of thing. And again, her, her husband was completely silent the entire time. And I, and I looked at him finally when I was done, I was like, I am so sorry. He goes, no, no. And he cut me off quickly. He goes, no, 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 no. Thank you. And at first I thought he was being facetious. You know, maybe he was having a, you know, a go at me or something, but I was like, Oh, really? He goes, no, seriously. He's like, kind of wish somebody had told us both that he's like, I got her into these because I wanted her to have nice markers. I wanted her to have something better than the Crayola brand she'd been using, you know, to try and do illustrations and stuff. Um, this is going to be really helpful. It's a little, as he put it, cause I, I think he was channeling what his wife was feeling when he said, I feel a little sick to think about all the markers we've thrown out, but the good thing is we do have some at home, but now I know, and he held up the paper that I had written down the URL of the company that they were buying, that I bought refills from. He said, now I know that nibs and refills and all this other system exists for this sort of thing. So thank you very much. And that was what sort of first birthed the seed of thought that there has to be something that is more for the everyday artist. Don't get me wrong. It's great to get art news that says, hey, we have ink and art. That's going to be at this at so and so's, you know, museum or Union Station or something, and it'll be here for months or whatever. Don't get me wrong, I I love stuff like that. But there is something missing whenever you have to go out and you have to find a lot of things on social media, and I believe that people really do want to have a much more thorough, trustworthy, and maybe even accessible reference point. For things like, well, as I'm staring at my enamel pin collection, where do you go to get enamel pins done? Why is it that the majority of them, even though they say or we're an American company, are probably still getting them made overseas? How does this affect things with the EPA? Are there other alternatives to them? What? Why is the cost so high? What can I do to design something for them. How does this work? Who's done it before? And are these people telling me the truth or are they paid by these companies too? You could pick any one facet of creation and you'll have that. I have people ask me all the time, like, especially now that I've gotten art or one out and I'm about to start having that at shows and things. I know that I'm going to start getting people that after they buy it, they go, wow, I really like the quality of this. Where did you get this from? And there's an advertisement on the back, right? For Kablam printing. But I still go through the whole facet because some people go, well, I kind of like Lulu or I kind of like Ninja Press or any of these other ones. There's, There's a ton of different digital press indie sort of things out there. But the truth is that it comes down a little bit to preference and it also comes down to experience. And a lot of the magazines out there may have some really great interviews and some really great knowledge bases from the writers and people that are behind the magazines. But I do believe there is something missing that talks to the intrinsic need for a much more grounded and, you know, not remedial, but more back to basics sort of approach for how things are. Because the one thing that blows my mind consistently is that the arts seem to be both held in high regard But also through no, well, I wouldn't say through no fault of their own. They seem to be held in a zone where 
your average person will think of an artist and will think of a very bohemian sort of individual who maybe has a vice like heavy drinking or, you know, an addiction to certain things or whatever. There's a whole bunch of tropes. I mean, just watch any movie or show and you'll see people that are trying their best to act artsy or you'll even see it at shows. You'll see people that like, wow, you're really playing the part. And I'll admit when I go to a show, I don't necessarily like I am who I am, but you're the, the dork you're hearing right now on this podcast is exactly who the, who the hell you're going to see at the show. Uh, but you know, I, I do dress up to a certain degree. I, I, you know, I like wearing jewelry and armbands and, you know, my, my hoodies and jackets and branded shirts and things. And, you know, there's, there's a certain effect that, you kind of play to when you do that sort of thing, which is not talked about enough, right? Because there's plenty of people I know, like some real good pros, that are like, fuck that, I'm showing up in jeans and a t-shirt. They they very much approach it from the ACDC concept of performance, right? Like, I'm here, and that's enough, right? <laughs> that's all it needs to be. But there's certainly plenty of people. I noticed that uh, there was uh, the whole, uh, I think it's the Hearts Across KC aspect. There was one lady that, uh, I'm not going to name her because I'm not trying to pick on her, but uh, her heart was an amazing work. It really was. And it was featured quite heavily in the whole thing. And there was well over a hundred artists that have participated in this. And, uh, I remember when I saw her at the show, like it was like Lady Gaga had come to the show. It was incredibly hilariously and amazingly outlandish in all the best ways. And when I say hilarious, it was just, I couldn't help but laugh because it was cool. It wasn't like laughter, like mocking or anything else like that. Not, not even close to it. It was more like, my God, that is something. And I always, you know, like going to another guy that, um, I still can't remember his name. I know I found it the other day and I've talked about him before in past podcasts. And even a couple of interviews I've done over the years, I've talked about this guy. There was a a fellow that, you know, I was like, I just want to know your story. Like I kind of, I kind of want, I kind of wanted a mini series about this guy. And I always told myself if I ever did uh, did any sort of media that involved a character that was over the top, I wanted it to be this guy. And uh, he was, I guess he was from the UK. I don't know. I couldn't really place his accent because it was Cockney, but it was odd. Nonetheless, I was talking to a fellow who made these wonderful masks. And as we're talking, I could hear this just raging thumping noise coming from the middle of the area. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I want to say this was at, uh, I think this was at a show somewhere on the East coast. I can't remember now. I thought it was spectrum, but it wasn't, it was, um, it was another, oh gosh, part of the show was in the museum. And the other one was actually at this little salon display that was at a, at the hotel. It was a very odd thing. And I'll, I'll have to cover that show someday because, my memory of it is pretty bizarre. And I remember being angry for a lot of the show too. Like just, it, there's a long story behind that, but nonetheless, the best part of it for me was this one guy that, um, we're both, well, I'm talking to this other fellow about his masks and, you know, he's, you know, talking about them and rightfully so very, very proud of what he's working on. He's like, he, and he looked at and he goes, ah, this guy. And we look down and there's, you know, most, most booth setups are like, you know, it's probably like an, an eight by 10 or a 10 by 10 booth. And there was three booths that had been opened up and there was a, an easel with a glass plate on it and um, a 
this this artwork that was on there and I remember there was like I believe it was a boom box I couldn't even tell you now but there was like a bunch of other paintings and stuff like that and this guy had shoulder length black hair so let me let me preface this by saying there was nobody standing there but the music was playing around the corner comes this guy wearing a leather leather motorcycle jacket with like a few pins on it and no shirt right but at least the kind of guy that if he's got no shirt on, he's got the whole Matthew McConaughey thing going where, okay, all right, I still want you to put a shirt on, but I understand why you got no shirt. And uh, so he comes, he starts not even walking so much as swaggering down this aisle to his own music. I was like, clearly he belongs to this loud booth. And he walks over and he's got leather pants on, motorcycle boots. And I think one fingerless glove, I rem- I think that's right, because the other hand had a multitude of rings on there. Now, don't get me wrong, I wear a lot of rings. For anyone that's ever seen me out there, they're probably like, what the hell's wrong with this hand? Why has it got all the rings and the other one doesn't? There's a whole story behind that, too. But I see this woman that's like going from booth to booth, and it was kind of a slow, that particular part of the show was really slow, and there wasn't a lot of people out and about. But there was one young lady that had, walked over and she was like just entranced by this guy because he's dancing and i think uh oh the song was dragula by by rob zombie and i remember he's like hip thrusting and like like it looked like he was doing something that should have been illegal in 37 states to this easel but at the exact same time it was that whole thing where you just didn't want to look away because i'm like am i watching what's happening here and I'm not the only person the other guy's looking to. And there's a multitude of people up and down the road. Like, what What am I seeing here? And I couldn't help it. I had to walk down there. I was like, okay, dude, I'll catch up with you. And I started walking down. I'm like, I got to see what's going to happen. So I'm walking down there. This guy, like, he's gyrating everything. And I'm like, good God. Like, there is a certain level of ego and temerity that you have to carry in front of you in a wheelbarrow to be able to act anything like this. And it was stunning. It was absolutely insane how this guy was because I see the woman coming up and she's like, oh, my God, that's that's amazing. And he kind of whips his hair around. And I realized at that point, I, I, I don't know if it was his abs or the, or everything else about himself, but he <laughs> he was wearing mirrored sunglasses and he turns with a whip of the hair right out of like L'Oreal. And he's just, and he whips his hair around. He's like, I love what's going on. And he, he had this effect to his, his accent that I'm like, what, what, what the hell is happening here? Like, it was like, it was like, he was like a reject from the Mary Poppins Disney movie. Like the first one, you know, and it was, it's weird sort of like British Cockney sort of Australian accent. Because like, if, if you guys remember, um, Dick Van Dyke had that whole like, you know, hello, Gab, now, but going on sort of thing. But it often would go into being a bit more of an Australian accent. And I could never play. I remember as a kid going, this is really wrong. And he kind of, this guy had the same sort of thing going on. Because even though he had a little bit of a lower voice and everything when he's talking to you, it really did sound like, like an Australian that had eaten a British man. And... But I couldn't get over the fact of how, like, this young lady was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And she she was just totally caught up in the act. And even though um, quite a few people seem to be either, at the very least, transfixed, a bit overwhelmed by what we were seeing, 
And he he took the time to explain. He was for what it was worth. He he came off to be a very nice person, and he was. But it was amazing how, like, the entire time he's talking to her, he's still gyrating his hips, not in her direction, thank God, but toward his work. And and he was going on about, like, yeah, I paint everything, you know, to music. You know, that's what drives my soul. It's what keeps me going. And he reminds me of every single guy that you'll ever see, like, in a, you know, in a, in like, a retrospective special about, like, old English bands or something like that. And, um, you know, because you'll always have, like, one guy that was maybe, like, the long, long, uh, long-suffering guitarist or bassist or a roadie or something like that was being interviewed and, and maybe they're like now they're in their sixties or something, smoking a cigarette and they're wearing like an ascot or something. And they'll, they'll tell the story in a way like, yeah, you know, whenever he came in, um, I, I remember he strummed the E string and I was like, that's a number one tune. And it was that sort like, I can't even, there were so many things that went through my head when I heard this and I was like, good God. But just watching it, too, was just amazing. And I never did get a chance to go up and introduce myself. I was like, I don't think I can enter that area of energy. I was just, I, I didn't even really know how to interact with it. I did see some other people talk to him and things. And he did, there There was like a group photo thing. And then later, uh, uh, another acquaintance of mine was doing a great job with doing some prosthetics. It was a good show. Like, they were doing all kinds of really cool things uh, there, you know. So he was doing special effect prosthetic makeup and things and he and this guy come over to check it out and everything and I remember thinking to myself like there's a story there that I would love to be told and it's not the kind of story I'm going to find on find on artnews.com right like whoever this guy is it's amazing but even going beyond visual artists I've met musicians I've met poets there was a guy that I had a really good experience with I met him in passing, and at first I don't think he really thought too much of me because I, I, I had a lot of recording equipment with me, video and other stuff. And it was my first Buskerville that we that I we all did together. Unfortunately, also the last one I did in uh, in Lawrence, Kansas. And so for those of you that have never been to Buskerfest, not Buskerville, Buskerfest, it's a lot of different performing artists. I remember the first thing I saw that day was a woman that would – that rolled a frying pla- frying pan into a little, into a churro. It was stunning. And there was a lot of things like, you know, people doing like Cirque du Soleil sort of acrobatics on fabrics and all kinds of things. And then, but then there was us, there was four poets walking around with megaphones, talking and interacting with people and, you know, interviewing people on the spot. And there was a beautiful moment of that. It, unfortunately, at that point in time, we had uh, we were hooked up with the local public radio station here in town in Kansas City. I think it's KKFI. It's kind of escaping my head right now. And we had a little radio spot that we do, like kind of a podcast for it. I don't even know if any of those episodes exist anymore. I can't find them in the archive online. But we did some really good stuff where we had talked to people out there. And I remember thinking to myself that we were just scratching the surface. <clears throat> of what a lot of these people had to tell in their stories. And that to me was, was kind of sad, right? And I mean that only not because, not because their stories were bad, far from it. They were amazingly enticing, you know, but you felt like, well, I'm just getting the the top edge of this. I'm not even getting the full, I'm not even getting the full run. Right. And I always told myself, I was like, there needs to be something that, that goes more in depth into that. Likewise, I can give you another example. There's a, I, you'll often see that I promote a lot of his stuff, but my buddy, Jake Engel is an incredible artist. 
And I've often thought to myself, like, he has a lot of things, like even the way that he managed to get into what he does now is an intriguing story. Uh, you know, just because he's a sculptor at Hallmark that works in the ornaments department. But it was what he went through to get to where he is and what he does now. And even his and the evolution of even his personal work and where he wants to go and what he wants to try. Those are things worth talking about. And that's one of the reasons why, like, I ended up doing the creative interviews aspect because it was an opportunity for me to send a set amount of a fairly general yet somewhat specific questions that I know that I've been asked over the years, but send them to people whose artwork I love or people who I think really fit into the whole pop culture scheme and what this turns into. I have been amazed by the replies and overall presentation that comes back and how different how completely different everybody's path has been. And I know that I could interview another hundred or another thousand artists and get different stories. And that's a challenge if you're trying to make a periodical, a publication or anything that would attribute itself to trying to be something that would be a resource tool for anyone. But it is a challenge that I'm trying to take myself up on. <laughs> so over the next few months i hope to be changing the overall presentation of not only this podcast but even the creative interviews to a certain degree because i would like to and this is going to be i guess i'm going to go ahead and say it now because i've been kind of a little reticent you know there, there, there was a fair amount of reluctance in me to want to talk about this but i had been starting to work on this sort of thing where it's going to be at least at first a one-man publication effort so i'll put the first one out there and the goal is to have it published by at least this december being one person trying to put this together, I have no budget. I have nothing else I can do. So I'm going to take what I have and more content that I've got in the wings and pull it into this and turn it into something that I hope will become a good concept. The initial run will be a limited amount of them and they will be available online, but they will also be available at the shows that I'll be doing next year. I am hoping that by the end of 2023, I will have a much better plan as to how I am going to proceed with this and be able to uh, seem scary saying this out loud, but this is one of the things that, you know, my creative coach would tell me, this is a good thing. I'm hoping that by the end of 2023 to be able to have a facility of thought on how I'm going to proceed with this and how I can turn this into something that at the very least will be able to pay for a small staff that I would be utilizing to get this thing to move forward. Again, the only reason I want to do this is because I feel that there is a dearth when it comes to smaller creators having something that works for them. And this isn't just about visual artists or musicians or even actors. There's a lot of other things that go into that, right? Because it could even be something like a good example of that would be somebody who has opened up a store that either deals in pop culture or some aspect like this, and it is an entrepreneurial pathway for them. Now, the periodical, the, the publication will very much be driven toward an art zone. The idea is to do that. But there are more than one way to succeed. There is more than one way to succeed. There are more ways to travel in the direction of success. And that's what I want to highlight. It's great to always talk about interminable success. It's great to talk about, you know, things that might be a little hard to fathom or even 
are once in a lifetime sort of opportunities that happen to people. Great. The, Hollywood can do those sort of things or bigger publications or news outlets can cover that. I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm saying that that doesn't necessarily affect everyone in the same way. And I think I would much rather find out about artists that I meet in passing. There's a ton of, I always think this to myself, there's a ton of glass people, uh, ceramicists, and just so many others, so many other mediums that I'm just forgetting right now. I met a lady at one show that was a hardcore printmaker. Intaglio and, uh, oh God, what was the other one she did? She did two, di- two different kinds of prints and she was vehement at the show like what you're buying from other artists here are not art prints those are art reproductions which is one of the reasons why if you look at what i do at my table and i learned this quite a while back from my uh, print instructor in college there is a difference between oh i do art prints and then art reproductions people i think i don't know people maybe maybe people just don't want to spell out the word reproduction i have no idea but that's what it is everything i sell is an art reproduction it is printed in a gicle style as an inkjet print here in my studio. And it is archival ink that should last a good 90 years, even if exposed to the sun. And it's boarded, bagged and boarded that way. I've done my research on that. But it is not an art print in the way that it is not something that is pulled from a press. It is not anything more than that. And I know this is completely off the subject, but I'm about to make the thumbnail for this episode be the two cats that are sleeping behind me because they look freaking adorable and they rarely do this. In fact, they haven't done this since they were young. They've been fighting a lot lately. So there's a little side note. So if you're wondering why there's two cats on the thumbnail, that's why the white one is Luna. The other one is my cat radar and my other cats in the other room. He's missing out on this. They don't like him anyway. He's young. So with all that said, that's kind of what I wanted to cover on this. So for those of you that listen or heard this or anything, if you have questions, reach out to me. I'm more than willing to listen to any sort of ideas or thoughts on that. Quite frankly, though, if anyone is like, well, hey, you know, I'd be interested in working on this or something, that's great. But I would feel bad pulling anyone into this if that was the case anytime soon. I do believe that people need to be paid for their work and their effort. I do believe that people want something like this and I want to be able to make sure that whomever I bring on there is some aspect of pay and reward immediately for being able to help me get this thing out there but that will take me at least the rest of this year and well into 2024 to figure that out if this even materializes like I hope it will so with that thank you for listening I am Mario the Artisan Rogue this is Radio 74 I appreciate the people that do listen all of the different comments I've gotten over the years and things like that. I have a few shows that are coming up this year. There was one that was super unexpected. I have no idea what it's going to be like. That's going to be a unique one. I'm hoping to do quite a bit of content from that one since it's a rather odd one. Uh, it's Icon 11. It's the uh, illustration conference. It's coming to Kansas City and uh, I'm not going to lie that was not a cheap show. Um yeah, and uh, it, it seems a little weird. I'm like, wow, glad I didn't have to travel for this one, but I'll go more in-depth on that one and certainly expect a very in-depth amount of coverage and a blog post as well, too, on that because, uh, boy, do I plan on rubbing some elbows, you know, to other people. 
with my elbows. Man, that sounded really weird to say that. I'm not going to rub anyone's elbows. I mean, I, like, in a connection thing, I will. Like, okay, wait. You know what? I am clearly tired. I'm clearly overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm going to stop with this right now. Oh, my God. Thank you guys for listening. And I will catch you in the next episode. Hey.